Are you ready to make positive transformation happen for you? Today, you're going to hear how some of the most successful people in the world have made it happen. Hello, and welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership with Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. These successful people and Dr. Woolsey will share advice, insights, tips, and tricks designed to help you incite personal action. It's time to bring positive transformational leadership to your life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. Well, hello and welcome out there. This is Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey, and you are listening to Transformational Energy Leadership coming to you from the heartland of America. Okay, so you know the drill. During the commercial breaks, go to my website. That's transformationalenergyleadership.com, where you can learn more about me and my business offerings. And also email me. You can send your emails to mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. You can also find me on this platform on voiceamerica.com under the Empowerment Channel. And I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn. It goes without saying, the tectonics of business and thus the call for leadership prepared to navigate the future is upon us. And my guest today is Diana Wu David. And I'm delighted to have her on the show because what she brings to the conversation is something so very relevant about the interaction between the West and the East, all from a very unique perspective. So who is Diana Wu? Here's a little bit more about her. Diana is a former Financial Times executive, author of the book, Future Proof, Reinventing Work in the Age of Acceleration, which we will talk about today. And she's an adjunct professor at Columbia Business School's EMBA Global Asia. She started her career working on high-level strategy as a management consultant and as an assistant to, to Dr. Henry Kissinger at Kissinger Associates in New York. She works with global leaders to enhance their ability to adapt, contribute, collaborate, and grow with organizations and boards that seek a competitive edge by enhancing leadership and engaging multi-generational talent. Her company is called Serana Labs, and what it does is it invests in young people and companies that will prepare them for a bright future. Her latest endeavor is called The Opportunity Project. And on a personal note, she lives in Hong Kong. So welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership, Diana. Thank you so much. It's fantastic to be here. Thanks so much, Matthew. I'm glad to have you, and we're talking about a, a topic that I is so near and dear to my heart, and I have to start it out by asking you, how do you frame the future of work, and how are people across Asia and the U.S. adapting to it? Well, I think the future of work has been, uh, you know, always coming, and the the future of work as I frame it encompasses all of the trends that we've always had as headwinds, the geopolitical, the technological, demographic. I think the difference now and the reason that we talk about the future of work um, more is that they're all accelerating, and so we feel it much more. So whereas over the years, technology would change um, through the Industrial Revolution with you know television coming or the steam engine or electricity or whatever it is, once every 30 years in a person's life, really, you know, our, our great-grandparents or even our grandparents would have one big change. Now it happens perpetually. You know, you have the smartphone. And when I go and speak to business school students, they can't believe that I went through all of business school without being able to do a Google search, <laughs> for instance. <laughs> um, right. so all these things are accelerating. Meanwhile, 
you know, the political winds are shifting and, um, and the sort of shift of different whole continents in Asia and Africa, which are, are really changing um, within our lifetimes. And then the demographics are that we're all getting to be, you know, to live much longer. We have the potential for a 100-year life. Um, and I think half of the people born today will end up being over 100 when they pass away. And so all those things mean we're living longer and we're experiencing an accelerating trend um, of change. And, and how are people dealing with it? Um, I think the effects are being felt in pockets. You know, older people are starting to realize that they are retiring at 65 and they have no job and 25 years um, of potential life ahead of them. And I think that there's a lot of people who haven't saved enough to be financially prepared. And if they have, they're not really intellectually prepared to spend 25 years not engaged in their work. Um, there are companies worried about multi-generational workforces and millennials uh, and whole industries that are being automated or offshored and, and affecting people who didn't necessarily think that they need to retrain within their working life. So I think that, that it's being felt in pockets, but the acceleration um, and why I called my book Future Proof Reinventing Work in the Age of Acceleration is really... Uh, the reason that people are starting to feel a bit anxious uh, about the changes that are taking place. Mm, yes, as you were talking, I was thinking, huh, I retire at 65, the 25 years ahead of me, and projecting into the future. Right now, we're talking about having all these, the multi-generation multi-generations in the workforce right now is about four. It could potentially be five or six in the workplace, you know, looking down the road a bit. So that's there's going to be even more opportunities to <laughs> develop the workforce and be thinking about how to navigate. So, you know, I, I'm wondering as you talk, you're talking about all these, you know, all this innovation, all this change, all this movement that's happening. Is there a difference between, from your perspective, when you look at China, for example, and we see it in China in the news all the time here in the U.S. And when you think about China juxtaposed to the U.S., how are they approaching all of this acceleration? Well, I have a, you know, I've always had a regional role in, based in Hong Kong. So I think that, you know, maybe I can speak to Asia more than specifically China. Um, okay. I think that to a certain extent, Asia is able to adapt, you know, better. Different countries within Asia can adapt better because, the last decades have seen such fast acceleration already, and certainly China, you know, would fall into that category where um, there's not as much of the legacy of, oh, we've done this in this company for 100 years because so many of the companies are um, have a shorter history uh, or have, um, for instance, you know, just started off the basis of, uh, Weibo and, and WeChat. So in that sense, people are ready. They're sort of like, we, we got a lot of fast acceleration to get where we are, and we've been growing at 8% GDP for the last decade, and now it's actually slowing down, whereas in the U.S., things have been a bit more stable. You know, We're, We've come to a certain point where a lot of people feel like 
I'm happy where it is. Let's just keep it here. Uh, but things are continuing to accelerate. So I see sometimes people more able to adapt um, in China specifically. I think that the, the faster things are going already in any country, um, the more accustomed people are to the fact that they're going to continue to change and they're more, um, I guess, accepting of change and less resistant. Mm-hmm. And change is scary for a lot of people, especially if you've been comfortable. As you were saying, you're in that stable environment. Now it's shifting. It's just uncomfortable for it's human nature. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody. I think that, you know, in some of my lectures, there's a cartoon and it says some guy at the podium saying, who wants change? And everybody <laughs> yes. raises their hand, and then they say, who wants to change? And nobody raises their hand. It's sort of all great in the abstract, but it's not very comfortable when you have to do it yourself. Oh, yes. It's anxiety-producing for a lot of us out there. <laughs> you know, you spend... <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, as I was reading your book, uh, you spend a good portion of it talking about the virtues of staying engaged and, and really being relevant. And part of it involves failure. And I've talked about this on my show with some other guests in the past. And failure, it's just an inevitable part of progress. And for you, if you wouldn't mind, talk more about what you mean by fail fast and fail forward. Well, fail fast and fail forward is just a a sort of Silicon Valley trope, Um, and I spent decades doing corporate innovation. So to me, fail fast, fail forward, which may be a little bit different than other people um, understand it, is really figuring out when things aren't going right um, and learning from them and applying the learning quickly. Um, So I talked a bit in my book about experimentation. And that's based on my, for instance, at the Financial Times, we thought um, a really long time ago that we would go entirely digital for our sales to airlines. So you get on the airline and you, know, you see there's a bunch of, they're the last big consumers of newspapers, in fact, <laughs> and they pay for them. Uh, and we thought we would go digital with that. So we went out and did this experiment and we... Um, you know, put a time limit of about two months and the sales force went out and did all these sales and then we tested it and decided to see how the consumer reacted to it and we found out that the consumer had basically no interest in it. Oh, wow. (laughs) So we decided to kill it, but it was good information. And so on a personal basis, you know, for, for your listeners, I guess, It's about thinking maybe about something that I'd like to do and thinking about that two months. So for me, I had done venture capital early on um, in my 20s, in fact, and it it was one of my favorite jobs. So I um, maybe about five years ago said, yeah, I really want to go back to that. And I was invited to go join another firm that would be as a sort of partner where I would make no money and be on the hook for any additional financing. Uh, And after a quick chat with my husband, he said, so what's the upside for me here? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And I went on their advisory board instead and started doing some um, small personal investing. And uh, what I found after going back to it was, that I love startups and I love, you know, what's next. I'm so interested in where things are going just by my nature. 
but the actual investing aspect of it, the sort of the term sheets, the admin, and there's a tremendous amount of that in order to be a successful investor was something that I wasn't particularly good at and that I didn't really enjoy either. So I've shifted to being more on advisory boards and writing about the future for Fast Company and other magazines. Um, And that's sort of the opportunity to to test it and see what you like and what you don't, and then either double down or even combine, you know, some of your ideas and always be looking for that experimentation as to what might work for you that's adjacent to what you have now. I think that perpetual um, experimentation is really important as we go to the future and as our own jobs change in terms of what they might be in six months to a year to two years and being ready and engaged in that. Mm-hmm. And I believe, you know, Brene Brown and other gurus such as that talk about when you're failing, that's such a good sign because that means you are making progress. It may not feel like it at the moment, but experimentation and failing is such a key factor, right? Even though it doesn't feel great. <laughs> yeah, it's growth. It's, um, yes. And learning how to be comfortable with discomfort and um, maybe comfortable with the idea that you're going to fail and other people are going to know about it. Mm -hmm. And truly the thing that I think we're uncomfortable with is, is that part of it, that what everybody else is going to think I'm a failure. But if you can adopt an attitude of, you know what? I, I tried that. I'm learning. I'm growing. I got a growth mindset and I, this is what I learned from it. And this is what I'm going to do next. Other people become much more accepting of that. You know, everybody mm-hmm. else is acting out of their own fear and looking at you going, oh, thank God I didn't try something. Um, but ultimately, the people who are trying and, you know, failing and moving on are going to be um, finding themselves much more uh, ultimately in, in a less risky position to those who are holding on to something. You know, I, I see this all the time in uh, young people that we work with who say, okay, I know the safe bet is to go into finance, right? In, mm, in right, Hong Kong, yes. it's a financial capital. And the World Economic Forum is predicting that, you know, traditional finance is going to decrease by double digits in the next, you know, decade. And, and they're really looking for stability um, in a, in a way that's just not sustainable. You know, maybe they can get that one job and it'll be okay. But there are, I think, 12 digital banks coming to eat the lunch of the big financial Mm -hmm. institutions at this very moment just in Hong Kong. So it's really um, risky to try to hold on tightly to some sense of stability in this Mm -hmm. sort of age of acceleration. Right. You know, and someone just said to me recently, they they were quoting some study. I'm, I'm not sure where it came from, but they said those who experiment, get out there and, you know, take the risk and fail quickly or fail fast are the are the ones who also accelerate quicker in this 
age of acceleration and innovation, if you will. So I'm going to pause right there because we're at a commercial break. And so when we come back, let's continue this conversation. And of course, I want to include in our conversation my one of my favorite topics, and that's energy and how that feeds into all of this. So for all the listeners out there, go to my website. That's transformationalenergyleadership.com. And we'll see you back here in a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to Lead Up for Women. Speak up to lead up as we celebrate the influence of women in business and beyond. Your host, Colleen Biggs, speaks with guests who have stories to share, have faced adversity, and have become success stories in business, in their communities, and in personal accomplishments. Join the strong and the brilliant ones and understand that the world is ready for you to be at your best. Lead Up for Women is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back. I'm having a conversation today with Diana Wu David. She's a thought leader in how all of us need to embrace this global shift from west to east. And she recently published her book. It's called Future Proof, Reinventing Work in the Age of Acceleration, something I know we all are experiencing in one way or the other. Maybe you're leading the change. Maybe you're a recipient of this change, but it's happening and it's happening right now. And Diana, I have to say, so last week I was facilitating a leadership workshop for Asian Americans on the East Coast, and we were talking about adaptability, and I shared with them your it's a form of initialism called AQ, which stands for adaptability quotient. And it's all under that umbrella of reinvention that you were talking about earlier. And so would you mind speaking more about AQ? Sure. I think um, most of us are familiar with IQ um, for whatever flaws it has. And then Daniel Goleman talked a bit about EQ, which is your emotional quotient as a new ability. So you have smarts, but without your ability to work with other people and um, really understand and have that self-awareness, there's very little that you can um, can accomplish with other people. And then AQ is the adaptability quotient, which is the new ability to adapt. 
So you can be smart at one thing, uh, but the shelf life of some of those things is decreasing. So, for example, if you studied marketing in business school, like I did, uh, we talked about some concepts that still apply, like lifetime value of a customer, but so much of marketing is uh, obsolete. So we used to talk about you know, print circulation and direct mail and what words you might use in direct mail. So some of that applies to digital marketing today, but a lot of it does not. So the shelf life of these new ideas, you can figure out how to do things on Instagram, but sorry, it's already moved to TikTok <laughs> or whatever mm-hmm. it is in, on the horizon. Um, so now your ability to change is your superpower, your ability to spot the future trends and um, experiment with them and figure out which ones to take advantage of from a business or personal perspective and which ones to ignore is truly important. Um, And I think that placing small bets and being able to double down, like we talked about in the last segment, is really important. And so is taking advantage of transitions between different jobs or different roles to upskill and reskill and invest in yourself. Mm. And so for all of us listening and thinking about what we're talking about now, adopting this lexicon of is my superpower, is AQ really one of my superpowers, adaptability quotient, and it's something that you really had me thinking about after I read your book. And you mentioned the word transitions, and in the earlier segment too, we were talking about all this change and how it's not necessarily embraced when it comes down to actually doing it. And so when you think about those changes, and it's something all leaders who wish to remain relevant, they really have to embrace it. So talk with me more about transitions and what's, what does that mean to you? Well, some of my work has been um, influenced by a book called The 100-Year Life, which talks about if we all have a 100-year life, um, by Linda Gretton, by the way, a London Business School professor, uh, what would it look like? And it really... Um, changes the way that we work. And I think in particular, as a working mother of three kids, as we were talking about on the break, the idea that we will have this longer timeline means that we don't have to really push, you know, for these 30 really productive years. We can take a little time. And so you see it at all levels. When I did a TEDx talk, which was about my transition from hard-charging corporate Um, director to more of a self-employed person and a portfolio career, I talked about the fact that, you know, we now may have time to slow down and and take even time off for when our children are younger or at an earlier start of our career. We have more time to experiment because we have more time to recover. And during transitions between work, people are really thinking about on a personal and a professional basis. You know, maybe I'll take a year off. Maybe I won't, like, you know, really think about what the next job is if I'm lucky enough to be able to afford it, and I will um, maybe, like I did during my transition, go to Mongolia horseback riding across the Altai Mountains for a couple of weeks. Or maybe I will take that MIT course in AI. Or maybe I'll just 
take some time for reflection and, you know, think about some of the things that I'd like to do or invest in my relationships or whatever it is that we um, can ultimately gain from or pivot to a completely new industry based on this reskilling. So I have a whole article on my LinkedIn as well as my um, website, dianawoodavid.com, about maximizing transitions. I feel like it is super important. It's like the recovery from a fitness you know, session. <laughs> it's going to be more important than ever to use those times um, for us to accelerate into whatever is next. Mm-hmm. I, and I reflect on the work of William Bridges, you know, where he talks about transitions in his work. And are you familiar with his work? No, I'm not. Yeah. yeah, he's he made his bread and butter by helping organizations navigate change. And then as he got into a later phase of his career, he said, this is really about people. And there's something about those transitions where we, when we realize it's time to make that step forward, we do that and we break away from the other part. Then we get into this neutral zone where we start to question ourselves and we, we get a lot of people get scared and we'll go back to what they used to do. And what you said in the earlier was things become obsolete rather quickly. And that's not going to get you to where you want to go. He said, you really have to stop looking backward and really embrace and almost treat it like a death in a way and then look at the rebirth of who you will become. And it's, yeah, it's a really great book if you're, you know, this whole thing concept. uh, You know, now that you start to describe it, I think I have heard a little bit about that. And since you spend a lot of time uh, on Asian Americans, I'll tell you a funny little anecdote. My husband, who was born in China, used to tell me when I got anxious that there was an, a Chinese proverb. Now, I don't know if he's making it up, but he said, <laughs> the boat will steady, when the boat hits the dock, the boat will steady itself. So mm. it was sort of like, you know, things will work out. It was one of those things. And, and so me, with all of my Western background, I was like, well, what if it's like a James Bond movie and it just goes right through the dock and the whole thing starts <laughs> to pieces? And he was like, no, no, the proverb doesn't work like that. (laughs) I understand that middle ground, the anxiety of that middle ground. And I think that um, absolutely, you know, it's uncomfortable for so many people. But I think that if you can find a community as well of people who are there with you, and I have this future-proof course, and it was almost exactly for that, where people have gone on, they've done the um, five to ten weeks at their own pace, but then they go in this Facebook group, and they're all anxious about their transitions. They're all in transition, and so many of them are just saying, hey, you know, you're like two weeks behind me. Keep going. It's going to be okay. Uh, Mm. Or, hey, have you thought about this? You know, try this. And it's just a beautiful thing because transitions are a bit new for us. We used to go 40 years in the same job, right? So... Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that it's something that we need to develop a practice for and a community of people to support us. I love what you just said there, is to find that community, and you're just two weeks behind me. I, I totally get it. Being in those, um, We have similar or parallel worlds in terms of we're both on our own, doing our own things. I think what you called it was a portfolio of, of work. And yes, the, those anxiety moments do happen. <laughs> so Absolutely. It's, 
And it's true. They, one thing I want to touch on before we go to break, and that's the whole concept of energy. And I, I talk about energy with all of us have, you know, we've got really positive anabolic energy, you know, flowing through our systems as well as we've got catabolic, that the negative energy. And we have to have both for, for survival's sake. And in your book, in Chapter 6, you write, Design thinkers Bill Burnett and Dave Evans at Stanford University Design Center found that one way to plan your day is focusing on the energy you get from specific activities. I would love for you to talk more about that. Well, absolutely. I think part of the reason that we end up in different um situations like a portfolio career or, you know, instead of retirement, we now call it rewirement, um, or even leaving a job as we think that things are going to be so much better when you have more autonomy, more control over your time. But what I find is that people feel a little bit lost without the outside imposition of that routine. Mm-hmm. And they are they struggle to find you know, a way to um, plan their day and plan when to do certain things and even what to do. And so I think that in particular is where this I- your idea of energy is really helpful. So when I um, left my full-time role at Financial Times, somebody told me, get all the important stuff um, that you want to get done before noon. And it, it worked well for me because I'm a morning person, so... You know, in fact, I I did that and saved the afternoon um, for meetings and different activities. But I think everybody needs to think about, okay, here are these things that I think I want to do. Some of them I need to do, um, but they sap energy. And so it's not about avoiding them entirely. It's about planning your day so that, you know, the conversations, like my conversation with you right now that gives me tons of energy, you know, I might put something that's a little bit less energetic right after that so <laughs> that I can just manage my energy and maximize my output and engagement throughout the day. So that is the idea between the energy um, that Bill Burnett talks about from designing your life at Stanford University. Uh, and he's come out to Hong Kong as well to, to talk about that. I think it's a great way to help you plan your activities during the day. I Yes, I love it because where your energy goes, there. pay attention to that. Okay, we're at a commercial break. And so when we come back, Diana, let's talk more about the impact you know, the future change that is going to have on Asian Americans and Americans working in Asia and so much more. We have lots more to talk about. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be back here in a couple of minutes. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Tune in for 5 Blossom Radio. Each week, host Denise Richard will discuss common interests in the fields of art, health, and spirituality. The series is arranged into three parts, focusing on five Blossom gatherings, the Four Voices program, and Fires of Compassion. Every program is available on demand, so if you miss any part of the series live, be sure to catch up. Five Blossom Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you where you want to be right now? 
We live our lives sometimes looking at others and thinking the grass is always greener on their side, not realizing that we have the power within us to pursue our dreams. It begins with a head start in the right direction, and that head start is with host Carla D. Walker and From the Inside Out. Believe in your abilities and take action. Listen live every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The White House Doctor Makes House Calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we are back. Today I'm talking with my guest, Diana Wu David, author of Future Proof, Reinventing Work in the Age of Acceleration. Up till now, we've explored how the business terrain is shifting and changing right before us. And Diana has offered insights on how to prepare. And Diana, I'd, I'd like to make this show even more specific because my shows are about leadership as well as some a little personal. And when we think about leaders, how are leaders adapting to a shift of profits from west to east? Well, I think I work with a lot of boards, so one of the things that I see quite clearly is boards that have no um, Asian or people with Asian experience or Asian culture on their boards. And we work with a lot of people in Europe and, uh, and in the U.S. who are saying, wow, 30% of my profits are coming from Asia now. And I really don't have any high-level or strategic oversight to understand why that is, what the risks are, and where that might be, you know, taking us. And so there are a lot of, uh, of boards who are coming to Asia to find people with experience, expertise in, in sort of large-scale manufacturing in China or Southeast Asia. Um, at the moment, you have people who are really looking at different supply chains and, and how they can de-risk supply chains, or they might be looking at digital marketing throughout Southeast Asia. Um, so that is the thing that I see uh, happening a lot at in terms of the work I do, um, and then other work on the ground or even um, in the U.S. in particular uh, and in Europe, you see Chinese companies in particular who are keen to go global. 
uh, and they are looking for people who have enough of a cultural understanding about, you know, China or about the, the way or business practices uh, in an Asian country so that they can have that bridging role of a company in Asia who might want to go into the U.S. and have somebody in between that can understand both cultures. So either somebody with an understanding of the Asian culture that is familiar and deeply embedded in the U.S. or somebody like me who's spent decades in Asia but grew up in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of, I've done a lot of research among Fortune 500 companies looking at Asian and Pacific Islander representation on boards. And it's, it's really very, very low. I think 1% or something of that nature is so low. And what I hear you saying is it's really imperative for U.S. and European organizations and companies to have that Asian representation there because there are such cultural nuances and differences between the East and West. I think that's what you're saying, yes, right? I've noticed that in the U.S. in particular. Most of the people who are in Asia looking for board members are from Europe, and they are aggressively coming in to find people who have an understanding of you know, the, the work practices on the ground. Um, mm-hmm. So it also might be people who are not Asian uh, or Asian American per se, but who have been um, at the top of companies in, in China or otherwise uh, in Asia who are being put onto board. So it's maybe a shift where there's still people around the table, around the board table, that look all the same, you know, as they ever have, um, but maybe have some deep Asian experience. And then I think that the shift towards more board diversity will, will happen over time. But it's certainly um, with more people with Asian uh, experience uh, on the board, around the board table. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about adapting, how does it impact how we should approach work as Asian Americans? Well, I think every... Um, Every Asian American experience is quite different. You know, I have friends yes. who I who are Asian Americans who are sort of third generation, uh, and other people who were born in whatever country in Asia and have come quite recently. So it seems like, and then my kids who are Asian American who have never lived in the United States, they've always lived in Hong Kong. Um, so I think that that's a pretty broad term. I think being opportunistic about <laughs> both sides of the equation wouldn't be a, a bad place to start and understanding what the positives are to your cultural experience. Um, I think that, that, that that's an important aspect that you can use uh, in terms of what kind of work you might find out in the world. And even for the folks that I work with, the students that I work with that are in Hong Kong, I always ask them to think broadly. You know, where can your experience across the entire world be most useful? How can you be really open-minded about it or play to all of your strengths? So being able to reflect on some of the unique attributes, which you need a bit of perspective on. I mean, if you grow up in a very um, closed community or very a family where everybody else is also that way, you can't always see how special it is. 
Mm-hmm. And you may, I really like what you're saying. It's opportunistic thinking about it from both sides of everyone stepping up to doing that. And you mentioned family, and I'm I'm curious, what do you see as an American in Asia for two decades? That's a you know considerable amount of time. You're married to someone who was born in China and raising kids in Asia. What unique perspective do you have from your life experience? Well, I think the unique perspective I have is um, is always being an outsider. Mm. So I am part of my amazing, huge Chinese clan, most of whom are in New York City at this point. Um, and really, uh, you know, feeling sometimes like I'm Chinese. I'm like a Chinese grandmother trapped in a, you know, Western body. I like my hot water with lemon and... and um, <laughs> um, just fussy like a grandma sometimes, but uh, I see for my kids that they will be third culture kids. They'll be um, they have the opportunity to work in China, which I think is going to be amazing going forward. It's one of the reasons I've been there for two decades. It's just exciting. Um, they will think that they're American, but um, they we were at a diner yesterday, and my nine year old put salt in his iced tea because he didn't recognize the salt in the sugar containers. So, you know, it's small things. They will have enough confidence even in being American, which is one of the great things about Americans, sometimes overconfidence, um, to really work in the U.S. and call the world their oyster and try to bridge two of the big superpowers uh, that are currently, you know, vying for attention and dominance. Um, So I think that that really is going to be their journey. uh, And the journey for a lot of other young Asian Americans as they go forward, it's theirs to choose Mm -hmm. um, because they can just as easily say, you know what, I am going to go work for a big four accounting firm. They'll still be around and you can put your head down and just be yourself. You don't have to be an Asian American per se. Um, but I think that the opportunities there are huge and I'm really excited about yes. them. And so I hope my kids will explore and I will in the coming decades continue to try to be a bridge between those two cultures. That is a, a life mission of mine and I'm really excited about it. Oh, and they're poised in such a, a great place to be. I, I can't agree with you more. We've got about 30 seconds left, and this is a big question. I, and I think you've already introduced or talked about a little bit, but what does the future hold for the next generation? I feel really optimistic that mm. the next generation will do better than my generation in terms of bridging differences and working together and being global citizens in a way that my generation had a promise to do, but at the moment we're really pulling back and being more um, isolationist. So what I hope for the next generation is that they will come to understand each other just a little bit better Mm -hmm. based on their globalization and technology and maybe a little bit longer in their lives to get to know each other. Mm. 
I share your sentiment very much. I'm optimistic as well. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, Diana, I'm going to ask you to summarize a lot of the things we've talked about here, distill some key themes so that all of us listening to this and participating in the conversation can really put this into our transformational energy leadership navigation, if you will, for the future. So for everyone, stay right there and we will be back here in two minutes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to The James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show, Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Empowerment. If you are looking to deepen your understanding of karma, the law of attraction, metaphysics, mindfulness, and intuition, be sure to tune in each week for You, the Universe, the Holistic Mind with host Katherine Potter. Catherine and her insightful guests will show how everything interconnects, explaining concepts and modalities that connect the mind and body. It's a refreshing look at the universe and the laws that govern it. Listen every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to the final segment of today's show. And we've been discussing and talking about the future of business, the model. It's shifting from the West to the East. And my guest today, Diana Wu David, has expressed her thoughts and ideas and given us some insights about what we all need to think about to lead the future. And so, Diana, I'm going to ask you, or I am asking you, what do you believe are the three to four main concepts you want all of us to take away from this conversation today that we can begin to incorporate into our leadership journey? Well, we've discussed a lot of them, Matthew, but if I had to pick four, (laughs) I think one of them would be to experiment and take small bets to increase your adaptability quotient. Um, You mentioned before, if people uh, 
could consider whether or not it would be one of their superpowers, I don't think we have a choice. Yeah. You need to experiment to up your ability to adapt. A second one would be reinvent yourself before you need to. Reinvent is an entire chapter in my book, and I think we all need to think about ways to, if not wholly reinvent, constantly adapt. And I look at it as a huge positive. How exciting. You can have Mm -hmm. so many more different experiences during your life. Um, The third one, which we did talk about, was making use of transitions, understanding that you know, the, the new shore will come up after you lose sight of the previous shore uh, and really thinking about what you can do to maximize your learning, increase your self-awareness, take care of your health during these transitions in between sprints. And then the fourth one, which is special for you, <laughs> not mm-hmm. you, and your listeners, is to think globally to maximize opportunities because I know a lot of your listeners are Asian Americans and this is really your decade ahead. So those are my four, experiment, reinvent, make use of transitions and think globally. Uh, And I think that if you can do those four things, you're pretty well prepared for the future of work. All right. You've just given me my marching orders, and I like them. <laughs> I like them very much. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, you know, as I, I, was, I, I was thinking and getting prepared to have this conversation with you, there was something that you had in closing towards the end of your book, and that was you, you really encouraged people to do an audit, audit your life. And we've got just a, a couple minutes left. Would you mind talking a little bit about why that's so important to do? Well, We talked a little bit during our break uh, about the power of Mm self-reflection and self-awareness. And you don't get self-awareness without self-reflection. So the life audit is really auditing your relationships and your finances and your time. And I think we can all fool ourselves that we're so busy, but we're not accomplishing that much. And this is just perfect for this time of year. We're at the end of the year uh, where you can just take a, a quarter or the year, look back at your calendar, think about your intentions. I always say my family's first. And sometimes when I look back at my calendar, I realize that I've been doing so much work and having so many meetings and you know, doing so many radio shows or podcasts, which is usually late at night for me, that maybe I didn't put my kids to bed or maybe I missed something. Um, thank God no birthdays this year, but I have in the past <laughs> for travel. And, you know, really just it, it's really stark when you go back and say, what are the big chunky ways that I spent my time? Who are the most important relationships in my life? And did I invest in them? And... You know, how, what is my minimum viable lifestyle, which is, I talk about in the book, and you know, what did I do that generated money, just enough money for me to really accomplish my goals um, and leave me time for the other things in my life? Mm-hmm. So that is something that is, you know, I think it's fantastic. It's um, 
something I'd be happy to send the link to your readers for. Um, and in fact, I do have a, ver- a shorter version uh, which I can give you in the show notes, which is just 11 questions to prepare for your future and is a bit of an audit of all of those things uh, and is a great way to, to sort of end the year and get 2020 right. Yes, I welcome that. In fact, I will send out to my, my distribution list of here are the questions and I'll post it out there on social media as well. Perfect time of year to be doing your own personal audit. And so thank you for that. I, I'm sitting here going, yeah, I'm looking at 2019. Where did my time go? So <laughs> thanks for <laughs> prodding me to be thinking about these things. I can't thank you enough, Diana, for spending time with us today, sharing your thoughts about the future of work and how it's accelerating so fast. And we're right in the midst of it. And the opportunity and optimism that we really should be thinking about as we look at all of this. So thanks so much. You know, after after the show, if my audience wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them making contact? I would love for them to get a hold of me. So my website is Diana Wu David, D-I-A-N-A-W-U-D-A-V-I-D dot com. And my email is Diana at DianaWuDavid.com. Or they can link in to me at Diana Wu David. Or if they like the checklist, um, the audit that I talked about, it's just at bit.ly forward slash prepare for future. And they can also get it on my website. So I'll have that all set up for you. And everybody can end the year with a tiny bit of self-reflection. I don't have a big attention span. It's not 50 pages. (laughs) It's 11 questions. How am I doing? And what can I work on for the year ahead? Fantastic. And I'm going to take you up on that. And reminder, everyone, her book is called Future Proof, Reinventing Work in the Age of Acceleration. It's a good read. It's one where you can pick up, read a chapter, set it down, come back to it the next day. It's just something really worthwhile. So for everyone out there, I just wanted to ask you or put it out there if you have a topic you want covered on the show. If there's someone you'd like for me to invite as a guest, please let me know. You can log on to my website, go to transformationalenergyleadership.com. You can contact me via email. That's mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com on Facebook and LinkedIn. And for all of you out there, until next time, harness your positive energy and lead that transformation. And we will talk with you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Transformational Energy Leadership. Please join Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey again for another edition next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.